What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here with our Indiana preview. Indiana visits Michigan State at the Breslin Center on Tuesday, late at night at 9 o'clock tip. Uh, before we begin, I just want to offer a couple thanks to new supporter Paul Marsh, who's a Draymond Green supporter. Thank you, Paul, and all the rest of you who support us on a monthly basis through Patreon. If you're interested in supporting the show, you can go to patreon.com slash msutiffnots, or easier, just go to our website at thefinalforceontheschedule.com slash support. And there you can become a either one-time gift support through PayPal or Venmo or a monthly supporter through Patreon. And you're the ones who really keep us going. Uh, and also, I think, you know, we've had a rough week, obviously, with what's gone, transpired at Michigan State. But I think a bright thing a bright thing that's happened is it wasn't that long ago. It was, I think, the 9th of February. We interviewed Madi Sissoko about his foundation, the uh, Madi Sissoko Foundation.org, which you can find, where he talked about uh, what he's doing to, for his home village back in Mali, he's building a school and I think a restroom and trying to get things so these kids don't have to walk forever to get to school. Not often do we have an opportunity to really um, change people's lives and affect them significantly, but this is certainly an opportunity. And we had a pledge made during that show. That pledge has been met. It's been matched. And so our show has raised at least $20,000 for this venture. I mean, it's the outpouring support from you guys has been really amazing. It's been a blessing to be a part of the show, one of show that I enjoyed for so long, but also to be able to use something like this in sports for something that's more impactful, that's more important, you know, than just the distractions of sports. And so I think it's great that we're able to use this, use this platform in order to do good. And I really appreciate everybody who stepped up and gave to the uh, foundation I'm glad you brought it up because obviously we've we've all had a lot on our minds over the last week. Um, but I, I I don't want this to get lost. Yeah. Um, because the, there's a lot competing for your attention, and rightly so, uh, of course. But um, you wanna you wanna talk about a way to make a positive contribution to the Michigan state community and far, far beyond it. This is a really, really good way to do that. Yeah. It's an excellent opportunity to, to show your support for Madi, obviously, and for what he's doing with his NIL money and supporting his home, um, home back in Mali, but also to, you know, really positively impact these kids and, and to show them that, uh, you know, there is, the world is a big place and there are all kinds of people there who are looking to do the right thing as well. And so I think that's always an important gesture from us. And 
again, it's been a blessing to be part of the show and to, to have the opportunity to have this platform in order to push these things that I think are really important. And so if you have not listened to that interview, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it on February 9th. You can watch it on YouTube if you want, if you'd rather watch and listen. Uh, and our YouTube channel at, uh, at so youtube.com slash at T-F-F-I-N-O-T-S. Or you can certainly just go to maddiesisokofoundation.org. And actually, our video is actually on the front page now. So you can actually watch you can watch the interview right there too and, and then give uh, money to support the, the venture. But let's talk a little bit about basketball now. Michigan State is facing Indiana for the second time. Indiana is 19-8. and eight. They're 10-6 and six in the Big Ten. They're ranked 20th overall in Pen- Ken Palm. They've won nine of their last 11 games after a really shaky start to the Big Ten season. They just won a close game against Illinois at home on Saturday, in which Illinois was out with one of their best, had one of the best players out, Terrence Shannon. Indiana's 25th on offense, 35th on defense. And on offense this year, they're kind of back to, I would say, like traditional Indiana teams that they can shoot the ball really well from outside, where they're shooting 38% from three, which puts them 14th in the country. They're 59th in the country uh, inside the arc, which is still very good. They do have some weaknesses. They're uh, prone to turn the ball over at 127th. They're not a very good offensive rebounding team, which is surprising, I think. Uh, they're number 142nd. And they're 218th in getting fouled and uh, for free throw attempts. So defense, they're very good against the twos at number 35, and a lot because of Trace Jackson Davis and his uh, bolstering things in the inside. They're number eighth in block shot percentage. They don't foul a whole lot, so that helps also with their defense efficiency. They do give up a lot of three-point attempts. So they're 200th in three-point uh, three attempts, and you definitely saw that against Illinois uh, on Saturday as well. Uh, and they don't do a lot of generating turnovers, but they're um, and they're okay, not great in defensive rebounding. You know, when when Xavier Johnson got hurt, I and I, I don't know that I said it here. I may have posted it on the Spartan Mag board, but one or the other, I made a comment about how you know maybe this is what it will take to correct the course because they were at one and four. Uh, in the big 10. Yeah. And, um, but I, but I also, in fairness, I also said it could happen that, you know, it's addition by subtraction, but I doubt it. And the reason I doubted it is I hadn't seen a lot from their freshman guard hood Shafino to believe that he would be capable of really elevating them. Well, you can you can call it uh, a coincidence, but I, I don't think it is. In fact, they did take off after Johnson went out of the lineup. And I don't think it's all down to that because Trace Jackson Davis has been, particularly over the last three weeks or so, has just played like a man possessed. I mean, yeah. he really, you watch it and, and it happened in the first MSU game, which was early in this streak out of nine of 11. I think they'd won two games to get to three and four in the league prior to the MSU game, mm-hmm. but we saw it in that MSU game. I mean, he played with as much force and intensity as I'd ever seen from him. And he's largely continued that. So that's a big, big factor too. But It also has to be said that they've gotten better since Johnson went out of the lineup. I don't 
looking at the totality of it, I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think it's an accident. Um, it's made them better. I, I think, well, a couple things, I think one, there still seems to be a feeling that Johnson's going to get back before the end of the season. If I were Mike Woodson, I'd be very, very concerned about how I handle that. Because I think if you force it, you could end up with a situation like Illinois found themselves in last year with Andre Curbelo very mm -hmm. easily. And Johnson's not that bad, but he's, in my opinion, he's not a winning player. He's, he's, I've said this before here. He is to me, the epitome of an empty stats guy. His stats look fine for the most part, but when I've watched him play over the course of his time at Indiana, what I've seen is a guy who, when big moments arise and you need a guard to make a mature play, he comes up short mm -hmm. consistently. And because he's a ball dominant player, I don't know how you insert him and say, okay, you're back X, but we figured some things out in your absence. So you're going to have to slot in. That's, that's a tough trick to turn, sure. you know, and uh, you look at Michigan state history, they were able to pull it off with Nick Ward, um, in 2019, uh, to, I think a lot of people's surprise, I think it was, it was questionable when Nick came back, will he accept no longer being the starter, no right. longer being the main guy because Xavier Tillman had really asserted himself in his absence. And to his credit, Nick did that. He, he blended in. He was willing to play a somewhat reduced role and it worked. Um, this is different because Xavier Johnson's a guy who's used to having the ball in his hands. Can if Indiana tries to reinsert him and hand him the ball and say, okay, here's the keys back. <laughs> they're done. <laughs> I mean, that would be a disaster. Um, if they instead try to say, look, we're going to fit you in, but it's going to be a different role for you. Then I think it's, it remains to be seen how that works out. Maybe it will, maybe he's willing to not rock the boat and come, you know, Illinois, they basically handed the keys back to Curbelo and they suffered for it. In yeah, my right. view, mm -hmm. that was an example of how it goes wrong. So I think that's one thing to watch for with Indiana down the stretch right now, it looks pretty good. Can it stay that way? The second thing is you mentioned that game yesterday against Illinois. I watched it as well. It was a fascinating game, a uh, very competitive, well-played Indiana managed to win, but they look like a team to me in that game. That's just starting to teeter on the brink of this, of their schedule and the intensity they've played with and all of that starting to impact them. They look tired now at home. It's one thing because you can rely on a crowd to get you over the hump. And I think that's what they did, but they made mistakes down the stretch of that game that were uncharacteristic. And they're the kind of things that in my opinion, a team makes when it's tired. And I don't even just mean physically. I mean, mentally too. Every team hits these periods where, you know, we talked about it with Michigan state last night, right? Right. Those last few minutes of the game, I, I think part, not all, but part of what went on with Michigan state, not being able to rebound, not being able to defend the way that they needed to down the stretch. They looked to me like a team that was a little bit out of gas 
mentally, yep. emotionally, right. psychologically is more, much more so than physically. And Indiana to me looked like a team in that Illinois game, even though they won that I can kind of see it coming. So I'm going to be interested to see how they look on Tuesday night from that perspective as well. But they've had, look, they were the preseason favorite. It's unlikely. You can't say it's definitely off the table, but I think it's unlikely that they win the big 10 this year. There's still a couple games back in the loss column and they're running out of time. They do get another shot at Purdue, mm-hmm. which helps, but it's in West Lafayette. So you don't put a lot of faith in winning there. Um, and a, a loss in that game would about do it. So you could say, well, they've fallen short of expectations, but as we talked about in the preseason, I was very skeptical of Indiana <laughs> and right now where they are right now, they are better than I expected them to be. Yeah. They're, they're more coherent. They're not a juggernaut, but they have a truly great player who is playing great, two different things sometimes. And their other guys have blended in well enough to make them very competitive Um, and look, Indiana to their credit has had to overcome injury problems themselves. It's not just Xavier Johnson. They've had race Thompson banged up a lot this year. They've had other guys, even trace Jackson Davis was hurt at an earlier stage of the season. So they've had to overcome some of that stuff too. I've been very skeptical of Mike Woodson and that program, I think with justification, but at least to date you have to give them credit for putting together a nice season where it goes from here. will ultimately determine how it's remembered, but to date they've, they've had a nice year. Yeah. And to your point about Xavier Johnson coming back, you see this all the time, right? You have players, not only is he coming back from injury and have to reinsert as a team has evolved and changed, as you mentioned, it's a different team than it was when he left, but also, you know, what's your conditioning like? I mean, expectation, you're not gonna be playing as many minutes as you were to start with, even if you, you know, were to, even if they were, they were okay with you playing all those minutes. So there's a lot of transition uh, for him to do that. Well, that, that might, that might help actually in terms of smoothing the path. If they can, if everybody buys into that fact that look, you're just not physically ready to play those, the same kind of role that you were before that, that might actually be a positive, but again, it, it all depends on how the, the head coach views that player and his team and his role within it when he comes back. And as we've, we've talked about here, there are examples in both directions of where it's been handled in a way and and worked out positively. And then other examples where I think it really played poorly. Um, And we just don't know because we haven't seen it yet. We don't know how Indiana will handle it. This all assumes that, the speculation is correct. And Johnson does in fact come back. Right. Yeah, sure. I mean, we have to allow for that, that maybe for whatever reason, it just doesn't happen, but it seems like from everything I read, it seems like there's still an expectation. Hey, we're going to get him back before the end of the season. Yeah. And Indiana as a team seems like a, I mean, every team is better at home than it on the road. I'm, you know, virtually every team they seem more so than most teams. Like they seem yes. to be a very, very different team at home versus on the road on the road. They, they tend to struggle a lot more. At least I, I even watched, remember watching the Minnesota game and they beat Minnesota, 
but it wasn't like they beat him by a lot. And it, they, they really struggled to handle Minnesota and Minneapolis. So I don't know. I'll give you, I'll give you one stat, which we'll return to when we get to the keys that, that makes it very clear. So they're shooting 38% as a team on the year from three. That's a very good number. It's top 15 in the country. It's a little better than MSU. Um, they shoot 33.5% from three on the road. Mm -hmm. So to get to 38% overall, they're shooting really well at assembly hall, right? Yeah. I mean, you just do the math. Yeah. Right. Right. But that tells you, okay. And, and again, that's not a knock on them. That's kind of what you would expect, but they struggle on the road. Some of their individual players, Bates, for example, who just killed MSU at assembly hall, he has been largely really, really effective at home. He has struggled mightily on the road. I watched their game against Michigan the other night where they, they managed to beat Michigan by one. Bates was pretty bad at yeah. Chrysler, you know, and, and they've got some other guys who fall into that category too. What's helped them is the one guy who doesn't seem to be too affected by it is their best player, Trace Jackson Davis. And when you've got a guy like that, who is as engaged as he is right now, that gives you a chance in any game. But yeah, th- there's no question. They are a different team, you know, uh, much, much more so than say a Purdue has been, or um, even a Northwestern, you know, I think Northwestern, I, I largely believe it doesn't matter where they play. Yeah. They're five wins in the road in the big team. Yeah. Yeah. And they've lost some at home too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they really, it doesn't matter for them, but for Indiana, it matters. Yeah. So I guess, uh, why don't we go through the, the starters and the starters are brought to us by brothers that just do gutters. If you have gutter problems, maybe you need them cleaned out. You've got a tree growing it like me. Maybe you just need them new gutters installed. Maybe just repairs. You've got big, huge puddles sitting by your house because the downspouts aren't operating properly or you have it running off the roof onto your garden and making you unable to garden, which was also one of my problems. Talk to Kurt Stauffer and his team over at Brothers at Just Do Gutters. They are located on the west side of the state. They are in the Grand Rapids area, but a large region. They go all the way from Lakeshore up to Rockford, out to Lowell, down to Saugatuck. So if you're in that area and you need gutter work, call Kurt Stauffer. You can contact him at kurt.stauffer at brothersgutters.com. That link will be on our show notes. You can also remind him, say Final Four, and he'll get you 10% off your quote, and he'll take care of you. The guys do a great job. They work in any weather. They did mine just a couple weeks ago while it was like raining and 40 degrees. It's a miserable job. I'm so impressed they (laughs) could get the job done, but I'm so happy to have it done now. Uh, So the starters for Indiana, we'll start with Jalen Huchifino we talked about earlier, 6'7", freshman point guard. Averaging 12.6 points a game on 42, 39, and 73 shooting. He's also averaging a little under four rebounds a game and leads the team with assists with 95, but quite a few turnovers, as you'd expect with a freshman with 68. He's a guy who can score a lot. He's a potential one and done, or there's certainly talk of that, and there'll be probably depends on how he finishes up the season here. So I don't know. He's he's a, a problem, obviously. When he's when he's on He's an extremely difficult cover because he's he's six seven, he's reasonably good athletically, and he's skilled. I mean, you look at those shooting numbers, it tells you this is a guy who can make shots. He has definitely been 
as we talked about, the team has been better with him as the primary on-ball guy. I felt when Xavier Johnson was still on the lineup, he wasn't, Hood Shafino was not as good mm-hmm. because for whatever reason, but it's, it's blossomed. It's changed a bit for him since he's become the primary guy that said he has for all his talent and it's considerable. He is a freshman guard. And when you look at his performances, it, it's in line with, with that. He has had real trouble maintaining consistency from game to game. And if you look at his game by game numbers, you will see that it's, it's almost a one-on-one-off kind of thing. And when I say off, I don't necessarily mean, well, he scores 21 night and zero the next. What I mean is he'll have a game where he's extremely efficient, you know, makes the majority of his shots doesn't make a lot of mistakes with the ball with turnovers and generally is really, really impactful. And then he'll follow that up either with a game where he doesn't make a big impact or just one where he's really inefficient. Like the Illinois game yesterday, he had 13 points, but he really struggled with efficiency. And I, and I thought he made some bad choices. He, uh, his shot selection was questionable in that game, in my view. Um, he took a lot of contested shots, which tends to be a weakness for him. And that's what happens with a young player with a lot of talent. Sometimes they need time to make the adjustment into understanding, okay, I'm a good player. I'm confident in my ability, but I need to be more selective about what I try to do. You know, that's usually a bridge that very talented young players have to cross is that they've, they've got to, they've got to figure out what makes sense in a given moment. Right. Right. And I don't feel, I don't feel he's managed to do that consistently just yet. So very good player. Honestly, if the pattern holds up, it would, it would be a reasonable expectation for him to be efficient against MSU since he really wasn't against Illinois, but then again, he's on the road. So we'll, we'll see, but a very talented guy. No question about that. Yeah. And I would say, point out the, the last two games that Indiana has played, you know, Michigan and then, and then, uh, you know, Illinois, they've really struggled to get into their offense a lot at the end of the game. I mean, they ended up winning Michigan, yep. or winning Michigan. And then the game before that is actually Northwestern. And they also had trouble there where they didn't, you know, they eventually just kind of ran out of gas and stopped scoring. So I, I feel like that is probably a reflection of the point guard, right? I mean, when, when Michigan State sure. often sputters, it's, sure. uh, it's, mod, it's uh, you know, AJ not quite getting things or reading things properly. And here's the thing. I would argue Indiana is in an even worse spot than Michigan State because with Michigan State, at least, if AJ is struggling, there's at least hope that Tyson Walker can – can shoulder right. some of the burden. Right. Indiana doesn't have a Tyson Walker equivalent. It's really Hood Chafino or bust. I mean, some of their other guys, Galloway, uh, you know, Galloway is a nice overall player, but he's not a dynamic enough guy to really make a lot happen in that way. So it really has to be Hood Chafino. Well, especially you're you're at a disadvantage if your best player is a post player, and you have a point guard who has trouble getting the ball. I mean, right? I mean, that's that because he doesn't start with the ball. And so you've got to make sure you get it into him and to have someone who's, 
you know, struggling. You know, what's interesting about that? Cause I, I was thinking this watching the Illinois game down the stretch, especially in, in previous years, I felt that one of the biggest indictments of Indiana's guard play, and it's across multiple guys. It's not just one group mm-hmm. um, has been their inability or refusal. Take your pick. <laughs> to get the ball enough to trace Jackson Davis. There were games where it would absolutely blow my mind that he would take nine shots, 10 shots from the floor. It was crazy. Yeah. You know, when you have a weapon like that, because look, he's, he's the best he's ever been this year, but he's been good for the moment he got on campus. Yeah. He was a highly regarded recruit. I saw him play AAU when Michigan state was recruiting him. It was obvious. It's been, his career has been no surprise. It was obvious he was going to be a guy that was impactful for the moment he stepped on campus, and he was. But in his previous three seasons, I didn't feel Indiana did nearly a good enough job getting him the ball. This year, one change that I've noticed, and you saw it in that Illinois game, relatively frequently, Trace will grab a rebound, and he's bringing the ball up himself. Yeah, right. Or he goes way out on the perimeter to go get it. He's not just satisfied with just staying rooted to the blocks and waiting for them to get him the ball. If he's not getting the ball, he goes and gets it. And then because he's got a good handle for a big man, he generally is able to work himself into scoring position from there if he needs to. So that's been a difference in his mindset, I think that he's realized, Hey, if these guys aren't going to get me the ball, I've got to go get it. And he (laughs) does that, or I've got the ball. Now I'm keeping it. (laughs) You know, that might sound selfish, but it's not. He's, he's their best option because if he's got the ball that forces defenses to distort and he's a very good passer and he makes plays for others. So it's smart for him to have the ball as much as possible not just about him scoring, but it's about creating good opportunities for Indiana overall. Yeah. And you don't certainly get the impression that he's unpopular with his team or that, um, no, that he's no. like, you know, hogging the ball or something like that. No, not at all. Well, let's uh, talk next players. Trey Galloway, six, five junior. Uh, he's been starting lately. And uh, as you mentioned, he provides those intangibles. He's a hustle guy for sure. He goes about a million miles an hour out in the court. He averages a little over seven points a game on 53, 50 and 69 shooting which is better than uh, the past. He's a two to one assist. Yeah, right. Two to one assist to turnover ratio. Uh, But in some ways he moves so fast that I think he just going too fast and a little out of control all the time. And that's probably what you're alluding to a little bit. And that as far as from a point guard standpoint, he's probably not the type of person you want to be the main facilitator on the offense. No, he's not a point guard and that's not a knock, you know, um, he's, Finally, this year, his third year, he has emerged as a guy I would I would view as a very valuable player. Any good team needs guys like Trey Galloway. I would compare him not not in terms of his overall production or necessarily even style of play, but just in terms of the role he fills for this team. He's, he's kind of akin to like what a guy like Matt McQuaid was when he was a senior for Michigan state. Now, what made the difference with Matt was toward the end of that year, when they got into postseason, Matt had 
some big offensive performances that I don't know that we'll see from Trey Galloway. But I just mean, when you look at everything he gives you, it, it does remind me of that a little bit. He plays very, very hard. He generally makes good decisions. He's become a reliable shooter, not a high volume guy, but when he gets shot, I mean, 50% is 50% from three. That's, that's a guy you're comfortable with and and you're comfortable, not just with the percentage, but what that also tells me is Trey Galloway, as opposed to maybe somebody like hood Chafino, I believe Trey Galloway knows what a good shot is for him. Mm -hmm. And so his shot selection is really good. And you know, you're right that you, you run into some problems at times because he plays like his hair is on fire, but he also does things positively for them as a result too. So he's, he's a role player who I think has become a very valuable guy for them. And every good team needs guys who do the kinds of things that he does. Um, so kudos to him because man, his first two years, I got to tell you, I was not convinced and I was paying particular attention because he was a guy Michigan state recruited, you know, Uh Michigan state offered him. They were in that recruitment and the first two years he had, I I was of the opinion. Well, that was a a blessing in disguise (laughs) that he didn't get this guy because he just, he just, to me, I questioned whether he was, you never questioned the effort, but I just questioned, is he ever going to be, an efficient enough player offensively to warrant playing a big role, or is he going to continually be a 10 minute a night guy that you inject once a half for energy and a little bit of defense. And this year he's had the breakthrough. So good for him. Yeah. I feel like it, the big 10 tournament last season that he was the difference in getting Indiana yeah. uh, as far as it did, because he just brought that energy and he scored a little bit, but he just made every play in defense and rebounding and scrapping for balls and, He's what got him back in those that game against Michigan and then propelled them all the way to as far as they went. That's a good point. And that was, I think, where the breakthrough started to happen, as I recall, was late in the year. It seemed like he started to figure some things out. And obviously, it's just continued and, and gone on from there. Next would be Miller Cop, the former Northwestern Wildcat, 6'7", super senior wing, averaging 7.9 points a game on 49, 45, and 83 shooting. Two-thirds of his attempts come from three, and uh, he's not a great defender. He had a couple of good defensive plays, actually, which surprised me last against he Illinois did. at the end of the game. Uh, but I don't know. He's he's a guy who is definitely much better than he was last year. Last year on the Indiana team, he was largely yeah. ineffective. So good for him, I yeah. guess, to get better. Yeah, he had kind of a rough game at Northwestern, and you know they really they that crowd really gave it to him. And <laughs> I've seen there's been some talk about that you know he was upset by it um you know look (laughs) when you transfer to another team in your conference yeah what do you expect i don't know what else you expect but i i it it did sound like some of it maybe maybe crossed the line i i I can't really even comment too strongly on it because i i wasn't there i'm not sure exactly but that seemed to be the suggestion from him and from some of the iu folks um but he was he was really good against illinois and as you say his shot has returned which is a big deal for indiana he's part of that vastly improved shooting um 
despite the couple of plays he made defensively against Illinois, though, let, let's call a spade a spade. <laughs> that's he's he's not a great defensive player. Right. And that's where the weakness has been. Um, if you're Michigan State, I, I think he's a guy you you come into this game looking to take advantage of. But at the other end, he's a guy you really have to be conscious of when he's when he's on the arc. I mean, two thirds of his shots come from three. So, you know, that's what he's going to do. And if he's not hitting from out there, he's not really going to contribute very much offensively. That's he's pretty much a one trick pony, but it's a good trick. Yeah, it's a good trick. And he does occasionally drive, you know, and enough to to cause problems that you can't just just guard him on the three point line. Uh, and by driving, he often just drives and like kicks usually. But uh, next is Race Thompson. I did Race play in the first game against Michigan? State? Is that the first game he came back for a few minutes or did. something? I think, but I he was very ineffective, we, if I recall. Yes, I, I if I remember correctly, we didn't expect him to, and he did, but he didn't do a lot. So he's back in from injury. Obviously, uh, he is six six senior, averaging seven point eight points a game, forty seven twenty four and seventy six shooting, along with five rebounds a game. And he has, at least when I've watched him since he's been back, he is not the same player. He used to be a really great compliment to TJD. Oh they, yeah. They were, uh, they were fearsome one too. He seems much less than, than he was before the injury. And I, I guess, I don't know. I don't know what the injury was outside of it. it was just a knee injury of some sort. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think he's a guy you would certainly have been more worried about <laughs> uh, two months ago than you are now. I, I in some ways, I look at him as a, a similar situation to Malik Call in that it's it's somewhat unfair to judge him too harshly on the season he's had because it's been so messed up by yeah. his injury problems. You know, uh, I don't disagree with you. He's not as good as he's been. I mean, he's been, I believe he's been a double digit scorer in the yeah, past. He was really good. Yeah. And he's not now, I, I think one of the reasons it's not the only reason, but one of the reasons they haven't been as good an offensive rebounding team as you might've expected has been him either not being in the lineup or when he is in the lineup, not being the same guy. Uh, Cause he's another one of these guys that in the past has played with a really good motor. I mean, Race Thompson generally is a guy you come away uh, from watching thinking, well, that kid plays hard. Um, hasn't been very effective with the jumper. Um, again, he's just everything is down for understandable reasons. But they even this Race Thompson, they'd much rather have than not because he lengthens their bench and gives them a guy who's experienced. And even if he's not clicking as well as he has in the past, He's still got so much experience playing with TJD that, you know, you'd, you'd rather have him available than not, clearly. Absolutely. Yeah, they don't have a super deep bench, so it's obviously right. helpful to have him out there. And so finally, Trace Jackson Davis, 6'9", senior. He's um, averaging 20.3 points a game, uh, 57% from the floor, 70% from the line. Also, <laughs> almost over 11 rebounds a game and three blocks a game. He is, uh, you know, I think he's making a run and making an argument for Big Ten Player of the Year. I think he's, he's probably between him and Zach Eady. And you wonder if they're going to have a matchup again in, at Mackey now, if he does, keeps his pace. You wonder if that changed the narrative a little bit of the most dominant player in the Big Ten because he does, he just is more dynamic. He definitely looks like a player who's not done playing in college, right? I mean, I, 
Zachy, do you wonder sort of how he fits in the NBA? I don't think there's many questions about Trace Jackson Davis. He has, I looked at the numbers um, before the, where they were before the first game against MSU. He's raised his scoring average and his rebounding average by scoring's up by just about two a game. Rebounding is up by a little more than two per game. That's hard to do. That's amazing in three weeks. (laughs) Right. At this stage of the season, that's really hard to do. It tells you something about the level he's played at. I'm I'm with you in terms of your assessment of how he's played. I I said this on Jack Eblin's show. um, God, it was yesterday, Friday. Um, We're recording on Sunday, so a couple days ago. Uh, He, to me, has looked like a guy, and sometimes you don't always see it, but there are times you see it with certain players. Matt McQuaid would be a good example, actually, to call back to that. Sometimes you, you see late in the season, a light go on for a senior where it becomes obvious. He's realized, Hey, I'm running out of time. Yeah. I've only got so many games left. If I want to leave a legacy, make my mark, it's now or never. And that is how trace Jackson Davis has looked to me. He has looked like a guy that decided at a certain point. I want to get everything I can out of this. And boy, he has done that. Um, It is remarkable to even be considering the possibility that somebody other than Zach Eady might win big 10 player of the year. But I think you're right. I, I, I still would make Zach Eady the favorite, but if, if trace Jackson Davis can somehow go into West Lafayette, and Indiana were to win that game and he were to play extremely well, that might be enough to wedge open a possibility. You know, I, again, I still think Edie's your favorite over the course of the season. He merits that, but for about the last three weeks or so, TJD has been the best player in the big 10. And I don't think it's particularly close either during that time. I think he's clearly been the best player in the big 10. Um, because he and you mentioned something else too, and, and it gets to what I was talking about a few minutes ago as well. The difference in the two of them, you know, Zach Eady is a guy who just because he has freakish physical tools, and I don't mean to denigrate him as a player. No, just he's crazy he's tall and big. He's yeah. seven foot four and big and skilled enough to use that size positively. That's what he does. Trace Jackson Davis is an entirely different thing. He's a guy who can go 94 feet. He can grab a rebound, take the ball down himself, be, be his own outlet pass and finish, right? He is an extremely effective rim protector. Um, more so than Edie. He has become a relentless rebounder over this stretch. I mean, just if there's an opportunity and he's in the vicinity, you're putting your money on him coming up with the ball. That's just how it is right now. He is an outstanding. Edie's a good passer. I would say Trace is a better passer, Mm -hmm. a very good passer. Um, The only thing he doesn't do, and it's something Edie doesn't do either. The only thing Trace doesn't doesn't do is he doesn't shoot the ball from range, but who cares? At the level he's played at, 
it just that that's the last thing in the world you're concerned about. So I think he is more versatile, more dynamic, certainly than Edie in terms of all the different ways in which he impacts the game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's a load. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's no other way to put it. And and good for him, because as much as I was disappointed that he picked Indiana and I had even heard some things last year and the year before, frankly, when they fired Archie Miller, that made me think Michigan state might get another shot at him, that that wasn't wild speculation. Um, but when a guy sticks with the program and is rewarded for it and, and in large part, in his case, due to his own efforts, it wasn't just that everything worked out around him. He's, had a huge role in making it work you have to feel good for him i mean he's done it the right way you know no criticism absolutely let's move on to the reserves then we'll start with jordan geronimo 6'6 junior averaging 5.1 points a game on 56 26 and 62 shooting along with a little under three rebounds a game in 14 minutes and also averaging a block per game i think he was starting the last game and he now was that thompson came back he's now back into reserve status but he'll play a lot of minutes because of that he'll be yeah he'll be at least a 15 minute a night guy you know it's he's good enough that he can make occasional contributions i have to be honest when i saw him as a freshman i thought he would be further along than he is i to mm-hmm. me he looked you know indiana had had this run of producing these guys um oladipo was one right right og ananobi was another these kind of mid-sized six, five, six, 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 seven guys that are strong, very athletic. And over their time there, you see them gradually develop their games, you know, become more consistent shooters, start proving capable of doing more things at a high level. I thought this guy had a chance to be another one of those types of players. And he's effective. He's, he's a decent, solid role player. So that's not a knock on him. It's just, I thought he might've a chance to be better so far. It hasn't happened. Uh, next would be Tamar Bates, six, four sophomore wing averaging seven points a game on 43, 41 and 96 shooting while averaging 21 minutes a game. He was, uh, just tore us apart pieces along with many players, <laughs> players at assembly hall, but he was one that's was one we hadn't expected to do as well as he did. And he, he killed us from deep. Yeah. He's, uh, we talked about the variance with this team home yeah. and away. And as an individual player, he's the s- most stark example of that. In my view um, at home, as we saw in the first game, uh, he is a terror on the road. It's a different story. I mean, their, their game at Chrysler, he was invisible. Yeah. It's strange. You have players that are that different. I guess I can sort of see it from someone who shoots maybe, but I've, feel like I'm, I just, I'm surprised that maybe it's cause he's young. I suppose he's just a sophomore. Actually, yeah, he's, he's just a sophomore and he would, you would hope that over time he'll, he'll find a little more consistent level of play, but for now he's largely been a feast or famine type guy, depending upon the venue he's playing in. Right. Well, finally it's Malik Renault, Renault, a six, nine, 230 pound freshman playing the four and the five averaging 6.7 points a game on 57, 25 and 69 shooting. Also 3.7 rebounds a game in about 15 minutes. I really like him. I think he's been, he provides him for a freshman. He provides him with some really good minutes. 
Yeah, look, they, they needed it, and it's something they haven't had for the last couple of years, which, you know, you look at those numbers and they don't leap out at you, but trust me, the quality of play they are getting from him is very different than what they've gotten behind their post players in the couple years prior. Um, he's got a lot of potential and I would imagine I would assume he comes back. He was a highly rated recruit. He was a McDonald's all American, if I remember correctly. Uh, but it's hard to imagine him making the choice to go pro. So I would think that they look at him and all right, this is, this is our guy who next year steps into the role that TJD has been in as our primary post player. And I think he's shown the potential to be capable of stepping into that and being very good. So I'm with you there. Um, the criticism, and it's not really a criticism. It's just a statement of how things are. He's a freshman mm-hmm. and he makes freshman mistakes, <laughs> you know, so you're not going to get a clean game out of him, but you get good effort evidence of some real talent and occasional production. All right. We'll go to our keys. Of the game brought to you by nudge printing. You can visit them at nudgeprinting.com and we'll be back in just a moment. There's no I in team, but there is one in indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. All right. So we're back with the five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. I'd encourage you, Gabe and Brittany are MSU alums, and so visit their website at nudgeprinting.com. You can get great Spartan apparel. They're also teaming up with a lot of other companies to help with the Spartan Strong, raising funds for the survivors of uh, the, the terrible tragedy that happened on Monday at the, on the 13th. So you can go to their website and buy Spartan Strong shirts and any other thing you need uh, with Take care of all your Spartan needs as far as decals, fat heads, uh, cornhole decals, all kinds of things. They have vintage MSU licenses and all their all their things, at least everything that I've ever purchased from there, have been really, really high quality. Very soft, comfortable shirts. They're screen printed, so they're high quality in the sense that they're not going to fade very well for very easily. And they're very wearable. I've got a hoodie 
they actually provide all the apparel for our show. So if you want to support our show, you can go to the selection, uh, our collection, which has a, both a t-shirt and a hoodie with our uh, logo for our, our shirts. You can find that at the final force on the schedule.com slash merchandise. You just click the little button at the very top of the website. Uh, that'll take you to our collection. You can buy that. And then of course, anything else, all the proceeds from our apparel goes to our show. So it's a way of supporting our show, showing your support around town. And then uh, everything else, uh, you can get 20% off by typing in the coupon code final four at checkout, check out their stuff. It's great, great stuff. And there's also other schools, both in the state of Michigan and then out, uh, away from here outside of university of Michigan, which is not sold by the <laughs> game of Brittany. Uh, so let's go on to the keys of the game. The first one emotion. I mean, obviously this is the first time back in the Breslin since the tragedy on Monday, there's gonna be a lot of emotion, a lot of, you know, I think they did a decent job at Michigan. They were hitting some shots. They didn't look flat. You know, I think you worry about that sort of thing. So hopefully they had a couple more days to process things. But again, it's going to be tough, not only for them, but I think, you know, in some respects, it's going to be tough for Indiana too. It's sort of how they're going to sort of, you know, handle things and deal with it as well. So it'll be a great wild card, I guess, in this game. Yeah, and I guess I'll, I mean, I'm the one who used the word emotion, but I'll broaden it to encompass a couple of different things. One, one thing certainly is what you mentioned. I think um, you never know how individuals are going to react to situations like this. You know, it's uh, we don't have experience in this, you know, and mm-hmm. it's hard to know definitively how Michigan State will come out. I think Michigan State. Um, I am very proud of the way that that team played in Ann Arbor. Me too. Um, I think that, I think that some of the things that happened, particularly down the stretch were attributable to what they went through, or at least plausibly could have been. Um, But I, I, the idea of trying to hold somebody accountable for that, given the situation is (laughs) ludicrous to me. So I'm very proud of, the way that those guys conducted themselves and the, the, the effort uh, that they, that they showed Um, this will be another challenge because as you said, it's at home. And so the vibe is going to be different, very different. Um, And you don't know how they'll react to that. We can hope that uh, it won't affect them negatively and that, uh, and, I, and I'm just talking about this from a ba- purely a basketball perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Again, I right. just I just want to reiterate, I, I think this idea about, you know, using basketball to I, I don't I do not buy into it. So I'm strictly I'm strictly talking about um, other than in a very limited way, other than for those kids themselves to be able to focus on that and escape whatever else might be on their minds. And there is value in that for them, mm-hmm. but that's it. That's where it stops for me. So I'm just, everything I'm talking about is strictly related to looking at the basketball aspects of this. We'll hope that they're able to play well, the Indiana side. There's some different challenges. One is kind of what you were alluding to. You, you don't know how the other team reacts to being in the middle of that situation that's got to be very difficult in and of itself but there's also this factor that i mentioned earlier indiana looks to me like they're a little tired right now i detected that 
against Illinois. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. I think they, they did some things uh, that I hadn't seen them doing. Let, let's also keep in mind, they had to go down to the wire against an Illinois team that was missing its best player. Yeah. In Terrence Shannon, he was in concussion protocol. He did not play. So they struggled at home to beat an Illinois team that they waxed in Champaign-Urbana and was playing without their best player. But a win's a win, but I'm just saying it, to me, it made me feel more confident in the idea that, yeah, they, they might, they might be hitting a bit of a physical and mental lull, which would be understandable because uh, it happens to everybody at a certain point. And, you know, it may be that their schedule is just in that they're in that period where it starts to hit home and it starts to take a little bit of a toll. Trace Jackson Davis in particular, he's played a ton of minutes and he is at the full, he's the fulcrum of everything they do. So it would, there's a quote that I've seen tossed around a lot over the last week or so people media have asked him about this and his line has been, I don't have time to be tired. Okay. Yeah. And I, I believe that he believes that. Yeah. And I believe that's his intention and good for him. It, it demonstrates the right kind of mindset, but you know, sometimes your body and your mind react to that by saying, well, that's a nice thought, but <laughs> you know, um, and I think it's not just him. I think it's their, their whole team. I think has shown it. So it'll be interesting to me to see what shows up um, in that respect, if anything. That guy is playing 33.8 minutes a game. He leads the team in time on the court. Uh, and with the sort of the, the way he plays, it, that's got to take a toll, you know? Yeah, because um, he's it, it's banging inside use, and stuff. And, that's it. Know. It's the usage is high. So you're asking him to do a ton. So start with that. He's extremely active defensively. He's extremely active on the boards. He's expending a ton of energy there. And then there's just the general wear and tear banning in the post in the big 10. So the number two key to the game, the second is defensive game plan. So Michigan state, you know, how do you defend a dynamic post player? Do you double, do you just play straight up and make sure the shooters don't have an opportunity to kill you? Michigan state decided to, um, they try to pick their poison with the strict nine in the arsenic and they ended up taking both of them against <laughs> in assembly hall where they Indiana shot the last out and Jackson Davis heard him from inside. So what do you think is going to be hap going on this time? It's a good question, you know, and it, it was the same question we had going into the Michigan <laughs> game. And the answer that we got is that Michigan state played against Michigan largely the same way they did in their first meeting, which meant they sent people at Dickinson a lot from different areas of the court with different timing. The difference was, I think he was better in dealing with that. And Michigan shooting was much better than it was in the first game. Um, and so you put those things together and I think it, you can, you can say that Michigan state's defensive approach was, um, not as effective as they would have liked it to be. I can't say it was, a disaster because they actually limited Dickinson's own production pretty decently. Um, but I don't think they limited Michigan's production as well as they would have liked to, which is really the point. 
Um, with Indiana, the complicating factor, I think, is this, and I mentioned this earlier. They are a much worse jump shooting team on the road than they are at home. So when you look at that, do you put faith in those numbers and say, hey, Trace Jackson Davis has proven he can go win a game virtually by himself. We're not doing that. We're going to force other people to beat us. And do you rely on those numbers and say, hey, they're not as good on the road as they are at home. So we'll take our chances with their guys beating us with jumpers as opposed to letting Trace just go to work one-on-one. There's an argument for that, clearly. I think the counter is, yeah, they've been worse on the road than at home, but even that, 33.5% from three isn't a disaster. It's not like they're hitting 25%. Um, And if you're giving them wide-open shots as a result of overcommitting to dealing with Jackson Davis, is that going to make it likely that they actually shoot better than that road percentage? And the, you know, this is one game. It's fine to talk about a seasonal average, but you're playing one game. What happens in this game is all that you really care about. You know what I mean? So um, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I, I never thought I'd live long enough to see a situation where Michigan state did as much in the way of doubling as they have this year, it has been, I think I've mentioned this before. They've done more doubling this year than I think the rest of Tom Izzo's career combined. It's a total shift in terms of how they've played it. And, um, you know, that you could say that's out of necessity. I, you know, there, there are valid arguments, I suppose, in that direction, but, uh, it is a determining factor. There have been times where I felt the way they've played it has had a lot to do with them either winning games or being competitive in games. And then there are times where it hasn't worked as well. And that's across the board. That doesn't just mean they've consistently, when they've doubled, there are games where they haven't doubled and it's either been positive or negative, you know, yeah. in terms of the outcome. My, my preference is always do whatever you have to do to limit the three point shooting. Right. I would given, and that's just my personal feeling about it, that I would, I would be very hesitant to overcommit against this guy precisely because he's such an effective passer. I was going to say he's a good I, passer. Yeah. Yeah. You may keep him from scoring as much, but I don't think you're going to deny Indiana good shot opportunities. And so to me, I, I'm not saying don't ever send help, but I'd be very judicious about it. Yeah, I think Michigan State struggles, especially from the defensive rebounding standpoint too. When they send the doubles, they just have they, yeah. You know, you lose contact with the guy you're supposed to box out. I was just going to read over, and this is kind of interesting. So you had mentioned earlier the difference in, in Indiana home versus away as far as the three point shooting. So this this will last like 13 games. So home against Northwestern, 50 percent at Penn State, 28.6 percent. Home against Wisconsin, 12.5%. At at Illinois, 33%. Michigan State at home, 60%. At Minnesota, 28.6%. Home against Ohio State, 50%. At Maryland, 27.3%. Home against Purdue, 40%. Home against Rutgers, 41.7%. At Michigan, 33%. At Northwestern, 27%. 
home against Illinois, 45 and a half percent. So it def, it definitely, I mean, that is a huge difference. That's like yes. 20% difference. Yeah. That has got to make it challenging for the coaches to have to think, you know, which, you know, do you trust that enough that you can keep that going at you know, the same thing, you know, when they come into Breslin Center? And if you say, all right, our conclusion is we can get away with sending a lot of help at TJD and making those guys beat us, if that's what you conclude, then you have to look at, and they, of course, I'm not saying anything they don't realize a hundred times more than I do, <laughs> but they are going to look at it and say, all right, percentages are what they are, but what do those percentages actually mean? Mm-hmm. Were those opponents kind of playing them straight up and, and not letting Indiana get a lot of clean looks right, as a result right. of extra help? That's what really matters is what is Indiana going to do? What are they likely to do if you're giving them clean looks? And I don't think there's a good way to answer that. I think you look at the numbers and it, it certainly suggests that they will not be the same caliber shooting. What did you say? They shot 60% from three in the game at assembly. That was, Hall. Their, best shoot, that was their best shooting day. Yeah. Nine for 15. Yeah. <laughs> so not a, thank God they didn't get more up, but, um, But what that tells you is that in that first game, the one thing it says to me is that Michigan State did an adequate, better than adequate job, actually, of limiting attempts. Thank God, because it would have been even worse had they, um, you know, 15 attempts is not a ton. It's a lot for Indiana, though. I mean, looking down, they had 20 against Ohio State where they shot 50%. 15 against Michigan State, and then it wasn't since they played Northwestern back in January 8th that they shot more than that. They shot 18, and then Iowa, they had 15. They, they're not a huge volume three-point right. shooting that's team. That's true. In because that's of TJD, true. obviously, right? And so that's That's, that's part of it. That's part of it. And also, um, I think some of their guys, you know, like Hood Chafino is an example. And I haven't, I haven't looked at his shot chart, but just anecdotally watching him play, he takes a lot of long twos. So they're not, they don't hunt the three as much as some other teams. I think that's fair to say, but regardless, we, I, I don't think you want a game where Indiana is able to take, you know, 25 threes. No, probably not. And if, and if you're getting threes, you have to make sure they're contested. Right. I mean, I think that's yep. the, obviously, the, I mean, that's obvious, right. That, and that's what, idea. and that's the hard thing to do Yeah, when you're sending a lot of aggressive help in the post. You know, again, I, I point to last night's game. I, it's not that Michigan scorched the nets, but I didn't think Michigan state always was able to rotate or recover at the levels that you would normally see. And there are reasons for that, but part of it is when you're sending guys as aggressively as they were, well, it's going to be a hard task. The third key to the game, defensive rebounding. Generally been pretty good for Michigan State. Terrible against Michigan with Michigan almost almost a 50% offensive rebounding percentage. And it, and it wasn't good in, in Assembly Hall either. So uh, you know, that has to be cleaned up and better. And, you know, again, I think that's somewhat reflected in the fact that they were doubling a lot and that sort of left them out of position and for offensive rebound. Right. But this is – you just can't afford it. I yeah. mean, you saw – if there was one decisive factor 
in the loss against Michigan, it was that, right? I mean, that's screamingly obvious to everybody. It's the inability to end possessions with one missed shot. Indiana is a better opponent than Michigan. They are more capable offensively than Michigan. So if you're going to continue to give a team like that multiple chances, say goodnight. The fourth key to the game, threes. We talk about this every game. Michigan State, it's important for them for offensively just in order to score points. Although they got quite a few buckets in the paint against Michigan, more than I think, more production than usual. Uh, they definitely need the threes, though, to keep pace with Indiana. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... It's just a simple fact that the three is a big part of Michigan State's offense, as we say, game after game after game. And if they're not productive, it's hard for them to score enough. Even as good as their defense has been this year, you still have to score some points. And they don't get easy baskets in transition. They don't get consistent play in the post. They don't consistently get get baskets all that often in other ways in the paint you know, via drop-offs, penetration, what have you. They did against Michigan, especially in the first half, but that's not a consistent feature of what MSU does. So they are what they are. They're a jump-shooting team. Yeah. And a lot of those have to be from three, and they have to be dialed in and be reasonably efficient. And the final fifth key to the game, the guards. Michigan State has a veteran backcourt in Hogard, Walker, and obviously Indiana has Hutch, if you know, as a freshman, and Galloway, who is been just barely playing in that starting role as a junior. And I've been pretty complimentary, I think, in in our discussion of Indiana, and it's merited in my view. But I have been of the belief all year long, and this was true even before Xavier Johnson got hurt. In fact, I would believe it even more strongly if he were playing right now, but I'm still pretty solid on this. I think their guard play is the limiter on what they can reasonably be expected to do in March. So if you're looking for a team to make a long run, they're not the one I'd put my money on, even though they've got such a great individual player in TJD and they've got a lot of other guys who have been effective. I just feel that the lack of consistency from their guards is what's going to make it difficult for them to win, say, two, three, four games in a row in the tournament. I just I don't think you can do that unless you've got really high caliber guard play that shows up night in, night out. And I don't think that's what we've seen from Indiana this year. So this team going on the road. If I were an Indiana fan, I would not have a high degree of confidence doesn't mean they can't but I would not have a high degree of confidence that we're going to see a great game from their guards on the Michigan state side of the equation. Their guards have to be good, have to, I mean, obviously Michigan state is getting a great season out of Joey Hauser. I think Malik Hall had his best game since he's come back from the second injury in the loss to Michigan. I think he was, you know, we saw the off, we saw his offensive game break through to some degree yeah. um, in a way that it had, I think in his other areas, he, he'd been back as a defender and a rebounder, but that was good to see him break through offensively. So it's not that Michigan state can't get production from anywhere else. They're, they're not Northwestern, but their guards have to be good 
to win a game like this. Have to be. So Michigan State is a two-point favorite uh, via Ken Palm. I don't think with Michigan State, where they're, what are they Ken Palm ranking, like 30-ish or so? They were 35th going into yesterday. So Yeah, so less than that. So I don't think they'd be a quad one. Uh, I'm sorry. That was their net ranking. I'm, I'm not sure oh, where yeah. they. So they would be obviously a quad one win for Indiana if they were to beat Michigan State. Uh, and Indiana. Oh, is, be big. Yeah. Be, be a, a big win for Indiana. Road win against a quad one opponent would matter yeah, a lot. Be huge. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's not a game that, many, like many of these things, games are not like it's not a, a must-win for Michigan State in order to make the tournament. But this is no, one that no, I think no. you have feel like you have a reasonable chance of getting, and one that you should be competitive in. Of course, all the other things that are swirling around on the outside should put things more in doubt. I think than probably you ordinarily would feel. Yes. Uh, the one, the one other question I had about this game is, you know, we saw Jackson Kohler played pretty well in Assembly Hall. He was one of the few like, you know, surprising bright spots, I guess, in that game where he had a couple moves where he scored on Jackson, uh, Trace Jackson Davis. And do you see him getting a little bit more outsized role in this game as well? Like they try a little turn with him to see if they can get some offense out of him? I don't know about outsized role as much as I just think in recent games, both he and Carson Cooper have been playing more. And... That's be- in his case, I think that's because give him credit. And I'm not, I'm not pretending he's Antonio Smith, <laughs> but Jackson Kohler has been better defensively to my, in, to my eyes, he has shown improvement. I think he's been much better as a pick and roll defender. He's been respectable in the post. I mean, and when, when I think back to the minutes he played against Michigan, they're pretty solid. Yeah, there weren't a you lot, know? but they were they were effective, right? He had eight minutes. Yeah, yeah, they were pretty solid. And the same can be said for Carson Cooper. You know, both of those guys, what they've also shown lately is, and this is something that there's, you either have a sense for it or you don't. And look, I, I'm a big fan of Mati Sissoko. I think he's gotten... Uh, undeserved and and this is the pattern with Michigan State's pattern with every fan base there <laughs> there's always a guy or two who's going to become a lightning rod on this team it's largely been Mati Sissoko but I think an advantage that both Jackson and Carson have over him is I think they have a better knack for getting moving into space on offense yep making themselves available both of those guys did that last night against michigan yes you know they made themselves available it was always what used to drive me crazy people used to criticize thomas kithier going back a few years thomas kithier had a great knack for that mm-hmm. just being able to sense an opportunity to sense that there's space available getting yourself there and presenting yourself for a teammate to be able to find you for an easy basket. I think some people think that's obvious. It's not, not at all. Watching that game last night, there was unquestionably, you know, you watch Sissoko and you can just tell he doesn't have that feel for when he slips into make himself available. And you're like, Oh, if he just moved at that time and, and he's not, and it's not even, 
it, I think in some respects, his idea doesn't have a feel for it. I think part of it too, is he's not looking to do it. Like, you know, he's got his tasks that he's doing and that is not one of them that he's right. sort of focusing and on it, because it yeah. takes everything to, to get to where he is today is light years from where he was last season. I mean, I think it's easy for us to forget, you know, how far he's come and there's just more that needs to be unlocked, obviously. And I think he, he can, but it's probably just not going to happen, you know, this year. And it may be something that, you know, it's been noted many times the lack of experience he has relative to most guys who are in their third year in a college basketball program. Um, it may be something that does get better, but um, it's also one of those, there, there are certain traits in a basketball player that I am of the belief are kind of innate as opposed to being taught. He mm-hmm. can, he can be better. But with Jackson Kohler in particular, you can tell by watching Jackson Kohler, he is a kid who has been a scorer, an offensive player his whole life because he moves like that. He plays like that. He senses things the way an offensive player does. And it's just sometimes sometimes it's either you have it or you don't. So to, to come back to your question, yeah, I would expect both of those guys to play a fair amount in this game because they're playing well right now. They're giving Michigan state positive production. You know, Carson Cooper played a pretty good game against Michigan. I mean, people will focus on the outlet pass he threw away, but um, he did far more positive than negative in that game. Um, Same for Jackson Kohler in the minutes he played. So I think right now, we are getting to a point where it is more of a three-headed combination there rather than Madi plays 25 and the other two guys split the remainder. Madi will still play the majority of minutes, and for good reason. He's still, I think, by a, by a decent margin, their best defensive option. I still think he's their best rebounder among those three, last night notwithstanding. Um, but the other guys are getting better the way you would hope that freshmen would down the back stretch of their first season. You know, I think both those guys have shown improvement and I would expect their playing time to reflect that. And I, I, we didn't talk about this last night, but I, it recently occurred to me that, you know, there's that one play where Hogarth threw the ball down in down the lane. And I think he was expecting, I think it was Kohler. It was Kohler. Kohler, yeah. Kohler to come yeah. in, to come and, you know, move into that, to cut towards the basket more. But what I was so surprised by is that Hogarth didn't go crazy like he has in the past, like a few weeks ago, where he's like just yelling and screaming and stuff. And yeah. he's much more muted. And I, it makes me more hopeful that he's sort of, you know, embracing that leadership and he's going to, you know, maybe that he's turned the corner there. I know it's just one instance, but my hope is that that's uh, a sign of things to come. Maybe. And that, uh, as was pointed out by Jim Jackson on the broadcast, that one was on Jackson. You know, I've, I've spent the last few minutes talking about oh, yeah. how instinctual he is as a player. And that was a moment where he wasn't, he didn't move the way you would expect him to move. Uh, that one was on him, not AJ. Yeah, but, no, um, it, but, but AJ didn't freak out about it. Like, no, he I has understand, in the, past. I understand so that's, the yeah. point. I just don't know whether that's a, as much a sign of him maturing in that way or whether it's 
you know, a reflection of where MSU's entire team was at. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's yesterday possible as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think to that extent and the whole, the emotional aspect, I think it's really, I think a good example is Joey Hauser who was, uh, by self accounts and by many accounts, he was really deeply affected by COVID and the isolation and sort of the, and so I think people, it's easy to forget, but but they are humans right out there. And I think, you know, they respond to trauma and isolation different ways. And, and so anyway, that's why I think, you know, there's still going to be, I think you need to have a little bit of grace for this team for at least a game or two more, just as they try and figure things out and get back to normal. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, there, there are going to be people who hear Well, that. yeah, they're always idiots. And, and, um, but I think it, I think the people who hear that are the people who tend to understand that intuitively anyway even when they're not in a crisis that they're human beings. And, you know, there's a difference between what I hope that we're doing, which is talking about things that happen or need to happen factually. So yeah, it's totally fine in my book to say, look, Michigan state didn't rebound well at all defensively against Michigan. It had a lot to do with why they lost the game. Those are facts. That's legitimate to then talk about how you wish this guy would be, you know, put on a bus to Virginia Commonwealth or, you know, yeah, right. this one never should have been given a scholarship or, the, you know, that's the stuff that uh, now more than ever, but you know what, not just now, always should be in mind when when you talk about this stuff, you know, and I, I imagine a lot of our listeners are on one form of social media or another. Keep it in mind, you know, before, before you press post that, that these are human beings, that these are human beings. And in this case, especially they're not adults. You know, and I don't want to hear, you know, well, they're old enough to vote, they're old enough oh, to yeah, drink, they're old enough to have an NIL deal. No, there, good recent research says that minds, brains aren't fully developed until you're about 25. By that, by that standard, there's nobody on Michigan State's team that's truly an adult. So, no. yes, I think at the very least what you said that they deserve some continued grace for whatever might happen on the court is, is sound. Uh, that's an understatement. Yeah. And I, I feel I looking back, especially like with Joey specifically with that COVID, I think you, I think you underappreciated sort of the effect that that could have on the kids. And I think we didn't sure. really pay attention to that and we probably should have more, I think just recognizing the, how hard that stress was. And the same thing goes for right now. And I would recommend if you're having, you're getting angry and just check out for 24 hours from wherever you are, that's getting you upset because it will, it helped me a ton <laughs> this weekend. Uh, it was, it is funny. There's a draw. you you feel sort of compelled to check it out, but it's better just to stay away for a little bit and just come back and just, and you'll, you'll feel better about, about humanity a little bit. Cause you'll see normal people, you know, admire wherever acting normally as opposed to lunatics and, you know, idiots on online. One more comment on that. I, I suspect that if you were in the building at Chrysler Arena last night and you didn't look at social media, 
you probably felt reasonably good about the state of humanity, yes. right? Yeah. Um, give them credit. They did what you would hope they would do. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we've got these other spheres that many of us tend to operate in. And um, it's not it's not always so cut and dried as a positive, but boy, you'd like to you'd love to believe that somebody somewhere learned something from all of this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I look at them and, you know, those kids who are in the crowd almost undoubtedly they they know one or two, if not more kids that are on Michigan State's campus and vice versa, right? I mean, it was a Michigan thing that happened. I mean, had they been playing Minnesota, there wouldn't have been the same connection, but there's definitely a connection there with these kids. I'm sure they had kids in their own high school who went to Michigan State. And so, I, you know, I think, again, it is what it is. It's happened and hopefully everyone you know, moves on and we are better people in some ways for something that you hate for terrible things to happen. And it's, uh, it drives me crazy that, you know, you look for the good of things, but unfortunately bad things happen and you hope that if something bad has to happen and it happened, that there's something good can come of it. And, you know, not that you worry about something trivial things, but like real things that actually make a difference. And so anyway, we'll, I guess we'll leave it at that. And we'll talk to everyone after the Indiana game. I would remind you to go to nudgeprinting.com. You get 20% off checkout at, if you enter the coupon code final four on checkout uh, you can get the Spartan Strong gear there. You can get gear for our show as well to help support us. Uh, also check out Brothers Who Just Do Gutters. Talk to Kurt Soffer if you have any gutter problems. And it is getting close to that season, spring, where you're going to start having leakiness everywhere around your house. It's a good way to keep taking care of things. So until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green. <laughs>